I can attest to all the things you just said. Because I, I remember being hungry after, um, after living a life where steaks was on the table every Friday, I believe, before every football game. He would make sure that we, we, I was fed steak so that I would play well. But um, so I know that guy, and that's the truth. One thing about him was that um, when he gave up his kingship, so to speak, to step down and listen to what God asked him to do, and in obedience, he became so much more than he ever was. And along with that, um, the one thing that he really did was fall in love with Jesus Christ. And that's what it all comes down to. Well, tonight we are... I welcome you to our Wednesday equipped service. And as you know, Wednesday nights are different. Now, if you're here for the first time, I want to really welcome you. And I'm going to say, get ready. And I hope you brought your Bibles because Wednesdays we have, um, as you can see, the notes that were handed to you are blank. Purposely made that way because we are going to get into the Word of God. The scriptures won't be up on the boards like they are on Sunday. And uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper than what we usually do on a Sunday morning. Our uh, keynote scripture comes out of the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and it's on the back of your notes. And we're going to read a part of that tonight, actually from verse 11 through verse 13. So would you read that with me? And it says, and go. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And you can stop right there and let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we, we come before you. We're learning more about Jesus Christ. I thank you for the hearts, Lord, who choose to go this extra mile service. And this is what I ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with your word, that your will would be done, that you would speak and we would listen. Equip us, Lord, as your saints for the work of the ministry. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're exploring five different subjects. Actually, the, the um, heading that we're going under is Jesus in Old Testament times. And if you haven't heard this yet, uh, we are in part six. And if this is the first, again, the first Wednesday that you're here, I'm going to encourage you, go online or go get the DVD, not the DVD, the CD. No, I'm sorry. We don't have Wednesday nights in the um, bookstore. So you got to go online. And and if um, you don't know how to do that, ask your 10-year-old. He'll get you there. Okay? <laughs> Go on to www.newhopehilo.org, go into our resources, and we have the DVD on there. And you can watch the other five parts. But we're exploring five different subjects about Jesus in Old Testament times, because He was there. And of course He was there, because we know what it says behind me, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So He was there with God from the beginning of creation. You see, a lot, lot of times um, people will think that Jesus is a prophet or that Jesus was an angel. It said that in other religions have said that. But we know the truth. And the truth is that Jesus is not a created being. Jesus Christ is God. He's part of the Trinity. That's who He is. So He always was, is, and will be. 
Again, we're looking at five different subjects because we want to learn about Jesus more and more. Why? So that we can love him how he should be loved. And this is what we're looking at. His position over all creation, his power to create all things, his providence in controlling all things, his presence in Old Testament times, and his preeminence over all things. And tonight, let me just um, write down a couple of things we've learned. Is that the reference to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is usually as the angel of the Lord. Now, of course, we know that he's not an angel in the sense that we think about. um, Because angels are created beings. And again... Jesus Christ is not a created being. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because if Jesus was created, then his blood would not be good enough for our sins. See, only the blood of God is good enough to wash away the sins of this world. My sin. And I'm glad for that. So, he is re- even though he's referred to as the, the angel of the Lord, the angel uh, is actually in this word. And... I'm going to get in trouble if I spell this wrong, but it's malak, or messenger. And that's who he is. That's where we find him in the Old Testament, the messenger of the Lord. Okay, last week Pastor Sheldon left us with the story of David, King David, who was the man after God's own heart. And he showed us how much David understood God. And he understood that the most important thing in all the universe was his relationship with God, was loving God. And folks, that's what it all comes down to. That's the whole reason why we're doing this Wednesday night format, so that we can get to know God in that way, in our own lives, so that Jesus Christ is not just Savior to us, so that we'll learn to relate with Him as Lord and Savior, as God in our whole lives. And I want to pick it up in the book of Joshua, chapter 5. So would you go there? Joshua chapter 5, we're going to be reading from verse 13. And if this one sounds familiar, it's because Pastor Sheldon touched on it two weeks ago. And he actually read this story because it's much like the story that he read about Moses. In verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord And if uh, your Bible is like mine, Lord is all in capital letters, meaning Yahweh, or the one true God. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, there was one other time in the Bible where the angel of the Lord appeared to someone else with his sword drawn. And if you know the story, it's recorded in the book of Numbers to a man named Balaam. 
And um, if you remember Balaam, he was riding on his donkey. And the donkey actually bucked him off. And he was ready to kill the donkey. And the donkey talked to him. Now why did the donkey do that? Because Balaam saw right after that, that there was a sword in a man's hand. A man there standing with a sword. And this guy wasn't just any man. He was very, very impressive. But the, the, the similarities between these two, because Balaam was doing something wrong and God wanted to get his attention. Now Joshua wasn't about to do something wrong. But nonetheless, God wanted to get Joshua's attention. And boy does he ever. I mean, if you saw the um, most magnificent sight you ever seen, a person holding a spear. Now, obviously, he was very impressive. I mean, that would get my attention too. And what does he ask him? He stops in his tracks and Joshua asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, that's a smart question. Because I imagine it like this. If I was to maybe turn the corner and I see this six foot seven, 415 pound brother, 32 inch guns, 5% body fat, standing in front of me with a baseball bat. I would only hope that I had enough guts to stand there and ask him, you my friend or my, my enemy's friend? But that's what Joshua did. And this was the answer that he got. Neither. Neither. I'm not on their side or your side. This is who I am. And he tells him who he is. The commander of the Lord's army. Of course, referring to Jesus. And what does Joshua do? He falls on his face. Now, Pastor Sheldon also touched on this. You see, although the question was a smart one, it wasn't the right one. He said, you got the question wrong. It's a little mixed up. You see, it's not about whose side I'm on, was what the commander of the Lord's army was saying. It's not about whose side Jesus is on. It, the question is, whose side are you on? Whose side am I on? Let me tell you what, if I saw someone like that, the smart answer would be, I'm on your side. And Joshua answered it in that way. He actually answered it better than that. See, what he did was he fell on his face and worshipped him. Which again proves that this was Jesus Christ. Because this angel, this messenger, did not stop it. And then he asked the right question. He says, what do you want me to do? And Jesus answers, he says, take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. That's an odd request. I mean, in this, can you imagine this sight? And worshiping God in this way. And what does he ask you to do? He asks you to take off your shoes. And I'm covering this story for the second time tonight. Because there are some very important things that we need to catch from this recognition of Jesus in the Old Testament. Again, especially this very strange request for Joshua to take off his sandals. And the stranger explanation that it was holy ground that, we was, that he was standing on. Because we know that the grass and the sand and the rocks in themselves were nothing holy. 
I mean, undoubtedly, people had walked over that land, over that ground before. You know what made it holy? What made it holy was that Jesus was in the house. The commander of the Lord's army was present, and that's what made it holy. And you know why he told Joshua to take off his sandals off? One reason was to get rid of everything that stood between him and God. Okay? And there's a second reason, and I journaled on this many years ago when I came across this story with Joshua. The reason why he told him to take his sandals off is because that's what we do when we're not going anywhere. What do we say? It said like, um, we kick our shoes off. And that's what he was telling Joshua. He said, kick off your shoes because we're going to spend some time together. You know, there are many times when I'm in devotions and I'm reading. And whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, God shows up. And you know what he's basically telling me to do? He's telling me, get your shoes off. Because I'm here and I'm on holy ground. I read something and he speaks. And he's asking me to take some time with him. Sit down with him and listen. Sometimes it's real strong. It's like he's standing there with his sword drawn to get my attention. I know many of you feel that way. That's what that feeling is. Is God saying, kick off your shoes, get off your sandals, sit down, because we're going to talk story. Problem is that so often, I have my running shoes on. And I don't take them off because I'm thinking about getting through my devotions so that I can do what's coming up next. I get caught up in the worries of this world. And I know many of us do. There are sometimes when we don't even put ourselves in that place where God can show up. And I want to encourage you tonight. Get in the place where Jesus is. Get out there to the holy ground where he's asking you to be. If you're not in your word, how are you going to know the word? And I'm not talking about the letters on the page. I'm talking about the writing of the heart. As you see, Jesus Christ is the word. And unless we get in and sit with him, and then when he speaks, kick your shoes off. Get rid of your shoes. Let him know, I'm not going anywhere, Lord. You have my full attention. Because you know what? That's where you get to ask him, what do you want me to do? And that's where he answers. It was in that place where Joshua said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That he commanded him through a battle. Exactly what he wanted him to do. Not only because Joshua listened, but because he chose to follow. And we cannot follow unless we know. We got to get to that place where we choose to kick off our shoes and listen. And that's what it means to be holy anyway. You see, holy simply means being set apart. And when we choose to take the time to be set apart from everything else going on, to be set apart from everything else that the world is doing, and sit in relationship with the commander, that's where we're holy. And that's when we have a sense to live holy, not perfect, but pure 
righteous, and a blameless life. That's where Yahweh himself speaks to you. Therefore, take it to heart. Take it to heart. Not just listen, but obey. Amen? And just like Joshua did, ask, what do you want me to do? And the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, as it's written in the Old Testament here, will answer. Now, I'm going to kind of switch gears here because of what I just wrote on the board here. This word, hosts. As you see, it is not singular, but plural. And throughout the Bible, God is referred to, not in the singular, but in the plural. 26 verses into the Bible, in Genesis 1, 26, God says this. says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 11, verse 7, he says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. And then again in Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God refers to himself in the plural. And this is something that man has had trouble with comprehending since the beginning of time. No doubt that you, you've had this uh, conversation before with a non-believer or maybe with um, another believer. That it's hard to wrap our minds around the fact of the Trinity. How can God be three persons in one? Now, the reason why we have this plural form is because of this word. And you probably heard this one before. Elohim. That's a word that's written in these three passages that I read. And Elohim describes... Oh, is the name which is given to the creator and judge of the universe. Elohim also is plural. Oh, by the way, if you like me and I have to look this up, plural means more than one. Okay, just making sure. Now you have to speak. But it's the plural form of El. And El means strong one. So, God refers to himself in this way. Elohim, or strong ones. Now, the importance of this point is, uh, is that for us, who believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one. And if we believe that way, it settles the argument that Jesus is God, and always was, is, and will be. Nevertheless, there's always going to be the argument. Of how can three be one? Now, I got to see it in this way. In my first Bible basics class, I, I was taught to comprehend it in this way. It brought it down to my finite thinking. 
Take water, for example. Water, in its pure form, is liquid. But if it's vaporized, then it becomes steam. And if it's frozen, it's ice. Three different ways for the same thing. If it exists in nature, why can it, can it not exist in the spiritual? It, I was also taught to look at it as me uh, in my life. I may be one man. But I am a pastor, I am also a husband, and I'm also a father. Three different persons in one. Now if it exists in my life, how much more can it exist in God? Deuteronomy 6.4 tells us this, though. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. There is only one God. There's never been more than one God. There are not three gods. We do not believe that. There's only one God. But this God, our God, exists in three distinct persons as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He does so without ever doing any injustice to the unity which all three of those persons enjoy as one God. Now, there's an argument that stems from um, Hebrew thinking that when God is referred to in the plural sense, that it's simply a majestic plural. Now, let me explain what that is. A majestic plural is just something that's really, really big. You know, like um, Hawaiian style cafe pancake. One pancake, but really big. That's a majestic plural, and there's an argument for that. That That's what they mean. We know that's not true. The Lord our God is one God. Three distinct persons in one. And guess what? Next week, Pastor Marshall is going to be continuing to teach us on that. But I want to close with this tonight. That although their argument may not be true, the truth is that we serve a big God. We serve a big God. And the truth is that we may never get to know His fullness until we get to eternity. But it sure can be fun getting to know Him better. Every single day. I was told this. If I got to know God better, or if I got better in God, 1% a day. Next year, this time, I would know Him three times better. And that's what He's asking us to do. That's what these Wednesday nights are all about. But never forget that we serve a big God. I'll ask you this. How much do we love this big God? 
How much do we love this big God? Love Him with all of your heart. Get to know Him with all of your heart. And then you know what you get to do? Is you don't get to tell everybody else how big your problems are. You get to tell your problems how big your God is. Amen? Amen. Let's give Him a clap offering tonight. And let's stand together and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are indeed a big God. Big in heart, big in spirit, and especially big in love. Lord, we want to get to know you more and more. And there are always going to be questions in our lives. Um, There's always going to be theology that questions what you say and questions your word. But nobody can question your love. Father, we want to learn more and more about you every single day. Bring us to that place, Lord, where we get to see you stand before us with your sword drawn. Where you ask us to take off our shoes and sit down with you. We want to be there and learn more about you. Father, above all things, let love happen in our lives. That we get to love you more and we get to feel your love more. Because we know that's your will. So Lord, let your will be done. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And we love you, Lord. Amen.